This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. everyone. You are listening to the Master Gardener Hour, a show where we talk to garden professionals and gardeners from all walks of life, growing all types of different things. My name is Kate Copsey and I am the host of the show. I am a Master Gardener and I've been uh, active for about uh, a decade in six different states and you can contact me from my webpage, katecopsey.com or through America's Web Radio Station site and if you have any questions about your garden, Post it on Facebook and maybe we can answer that on the air. And this morning, because we're in the middle of winter, we're going to talk garden fiction. And as I am recording this, we have a good healthy east storm, snowstorm outside. Um, and so we've got two great authors today who write about murder and mayhem in the garden world. And we're starting with Anthony Elgin, who writes great mysteries, including his latest book, The Alcatraz Rose. Good morning, Anthony. Well, good morning, Kate, and good morning to your listeners. Oh, yes. Um, and so let's start with a little background about your gardening knowledge. Um, are you a botanist by trade like your star sleuth, Lawrence Kingston? Uh, no, not at all. I'm, um, I came to gardening rather late in life. Um, uh, when I was a youngster growing up in, uh, in England, I, my, I, I was off doing so many different things in those days that gardening was probably the last thing from my mind, although my parents had quite a large, well, quite a nice garden, and it was well cared for, but I was off and running around and doing all the things that youngsters do, and I actually started gardening um, in the 80s, and it was it came about by a curious uh, way, and I, I, the, the best way I can put it is that it, I, I came into gardening through an act of God. And that sounds, sounds like a rather odd thing to say, but my wife and I were living in a small town in Northern California called San Anselmo. And um, in 1982, the, the, the small town uh, sustained um, just a dreadful um, flood. And it wiped out the, pretty much the whole town. Um, all the shops downtown, all the windows were blown away by the um, torrent. And uh, and likewise, our small garden, which was um, probably not much more than maybe 60 feet wide and um, uh, or 30 feet, say 35 by 60 feet. And um, so the garden was uh, nothing more than just sludge and um, just debris and all kind of stuff that was uh, washed down from the town. Um, so we... Not that our garden was anything to speak about in the first place, but we decided that one of us should take it on and uh, take on the task of maybe turning it into something sort of either useful or attractive. And so we flipped a metaphorical coin. I lost, and it was left to me to start <laughs> creating a garden. <laughs> so what happened from there is uh, is a long story, uh, but... I started off with an herb garden. I knew a little bit about herbs, but nothing, nothing too much. And I, I started 
uh, planting as many herbs as I could. Oh, obviously, the culinary herbs came first, the thymes and the rosemary and parsleys and uh, oreganos, all of that sort of stuff. But soon I was running around all over the counters and finding rare herbs. And on a visit, on a later visit to Sissinghurst Castle Garden, that has a very large herb, herb garden, I, I made a list of um, all very some very obscure herbs, and pretty soon the whole garden was just, um, as you and some of your listeners know, that herbs grow very quickly, and within about nine months, everything was green, and it was lush, and we had more more herbs than we could ever deal with. <laughs> but then I noticed that there was an absence of color, you know, with the exception of the blues that come from borage and thyme and some of those plants, but... Um, so I started experimenting with roses, and um, and that's where I really got into gardening in a serious way, because before I knew it, I was doing the same with roses that I was with herbs, and it's sort of rather impetuous, and uh, it was a small garden. My wife, caught, and my wife always said, you're trying to put a quart into a pint pot, which was very true, because... Uh, Everything I saw in the nurseries, I wanted. I wanted to put that in the garden. It's a mistake that we all make when we start. And so that's that's how I started gardening. So it's uh, been yes. 30, 30 yes. plus years since then. But um, yeah. I've been um, happily working away at my own gardens and uh, I've had the uh, pleasure and fortune to have visited many, many gardens, uh, mostly in and Britain, but uh, quite a few here in the United States and other countries too. Oh, wonderful! So, so how exactly then? Um, what made you decide, I guess, to um, turn to to fiction? I mean, has that always been something that you you did? You you were interested in fiction and writing it, and then turned to garden fiction, or or did you do the garden and then start um, the fiction after that? No, I. Spent my my career was in advertising and marketing, and um, over the span of um, thirty or thirty-five years, I'd um, been part in three three advertising agencies in San Francisco. And I was, I, I technically I was the art director in the agency, but very often in smaller agencies, the art director is also sometimes the copywriter. And so over the years, I'd written. I wouldn't say millions of words, but certainly tens and tens and tens of thousands of words um, on advertising, whether it's newspapers, uh, magazines, radio, television, and so I, I, I could, I knew that I could write sort of intelligently, put it that way. And uh, advertising writing is, is has to be quick and persuasive, and uh, has to be a lot of things that fiction isn't, and. Uh, when I was starting to think about getting out of the advertising business because I was sort of tiring on it, I, I'd been on a trip to Britain where my brother and his wife had a wonderful garden in um, Wiltshire. And it was a quintessential English garden. And um, on the airplane, coming back, I, I kept thinking about the garden and all the roses. And I suddenly popped right out of my head and I suddenly realized there had never been such a thing as blue rose and the more I thought about it on that particular plane ride I thought well if there was blue rose it would certainly be 
it would cause a huge amount of interest and in terms of commerce it could be quite valuable and i started doing some research on it and the the the, the amount of um cut flowers and flowers and plants that are purchased globally every year and it's, it's massive massive numbers it's in the billions and so i thought well maybe you know there's a thread of a good story here because in many mystery stories, something is stolen. It's very valuable, a painting, a jewel, or whatever. And oh, yes. a lot of people want it. So <laughs> when you've got a lot of people wanting something that's unique, yeah. and there's only one of them, yeah. um, you've got a lot of uh, opportunities there in terms of friction, action, uh, all kinds of hanky-panky. So um, yeah. I started to sort of wrap out the idea in my mind, and I talked to my brother and my sister-in-law who's an RHS gardener and um, they, they thought it was a good idea so I started I'm still working at the ad agency and I was working in the evenings um, on the story and the more I got into it the more I, I became enamored about the idea and the whole idea of writing fiction so that's where it really that's how I came into writing fiction and uh, once the Blue Rose was published then uh, then the challenge, the real challenge for all, all authors is the second book because oh, yes. <laughs> a publisher will say, well, do you know, okay, you've written one book, which is great, but can you do it again? <laughs> so, I said, well, I don't know, but I'll give it a good try, you know. Yeah. So, and actually, I, I'm, I'm not sure which one um, was the first one that, that, I, that I'd read. It could have been um, The Gardens of Secret Past or The Lost Gardens. But you have a real talent for weaving garden history into yes. the stories to the extent that, I, I, to be honest, I, I almost started um, you, taking notes on, on it. <laughs> You have to be a little careful because in in many cases, two books in particular, this last one and um, Garden of Secrets Past, are based on actual gardens and actual um, uh, things or plants that are in those gardens. In Garden of Secrets Past, it was the 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 whole idea for the book came at uh, came from. A curious monument in the garden at Shudborough in um, uh, Staffordshire, where there is an old monument. It's quite large; it's about ten feet tall and maybe eight feet wide. And it's called the Shepherd's Monument, and it's got some—it's got a replication of a um, a Poussin painting from uh, the 18th century on it. But it's also got. Some lettering on it, which nobody's ever been able to decipher, and I thought, my gosh, that must be a great, <laughs> that must be a great way to start for a story. And so I took that um, uh, monument and sort of fictionalized it. I suppose is the best word, word to. Um, I used that as the basis of my story, but it uh, and it did have. Um, the different lettering on it, which turned out to be a code, and um, so that was that was a true life thing, but mixed uh, was turned into fiction. As was the new book, the Alcatraz Rose. Um, the Alcatraz Rose was actually it was germinated from an, uh, a thing that happened through a friend of mine, uh, who uh, he and his. Um, Associate were, were on Alcatraz Island about 
I'm not sure. I, I'm going to say about six or seven years ago, and while they were there, um, both of them are rose experts. They spotted a rose that they was unfamiliar to them, and so they took um, a couple. They snipped a couple of blossoms, blooms off, I guess, and took them back to their nursery in Sebastopol, and um, discovered it was a rose that was hybridized in France. Um, by, oddly enough, by a man who um, was, became very rich by, um, by manufacturing cigarette papers back in the um, middle of the 19th century. And um, it, that rose had gone extinct also, or been determined extinct, however they, they determined these things. And so <laughs> I thought, again, well, this, 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 if I were to take that, that idea, that concept, or that, not, that, that actual happening, and I could turn it into a rather interesting story, and it turned out to be a little bit more, a little bit more sort of complex than I anticipated. But, um, <laughs> but uh, and, uh, so far, yeah, everybody's yeah. loved it, and yeah. it's um, 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 yeah. very well. Yeah, um, and I know that we're going to probably be um, finding Emma in future books, but, you know, we have to go for our first commercial break here. Um, but everyone will be back talking fiction that you can curl up with, with Anthony Elgin, who will return on the Master Gardener Hour in just a moment. This is Dr. George from Peachtree ENT Center. Understanding health insurance is becoming more challenging. If you currently have insurance, you've probably noticed that it costs more to see your doctor. And if you were able to keep your doctor, it takes longer to get an appointment. The bad news is this trend is projected to continue. Your costs will continue to rise while your health care choice and access will continue to fall. The good news is Peachtree ENT Center has the answer to this problem. We are committed to working with you. We specialize in providing affordable care for patients without insurance, those who are underinsured, and those with high deductibles or catastrophic coverage. And we offer same-day appointments. You no longer have to choose between staying healthy and paying bills because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Master Gardener Hour. Remember, you can catch up with us on Facebook at the Master Gardener Hour. And if you miss any shows, you can find them on the archives at americaswebradio.com. And you can find them on iTunes and you can find them on Stitchers too. And this morning, we're in the middle of winter and it's frigid outside in many areas. So we're talking to authors who entertain us with garden mysteries. And we're talking to Anthony Elglin. Um, and... Perhaps you're one of my favourite authors, uh, and you write um, great mysteries for Lawrence Kingston. Um, and 
Lawrence is a very educated person, um, an old botanist, and his friend, uh, he sort of runs around with, with Andrew, who they're always p- pouring great wines and obviously appreciate great food and great wines. Is that a reflection on your lifestyle as well? <laughs> well, I must say, um, I'm, you know, I'm partial to, um, you know, a glass of wine now and again, um, particularly living in the middle of the wine country in uh, Northern California. And um, I, I also um, profess to liking cooking. I, I like to cook. I've always liked to cook. And uh, my wife is also an excellent cook. So a big part of our um, spare time is, is entertaining, cooking and entertaining, and um, that whole world of uh, food and wine. And um, so, yeah, yes, I think that I'm, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, um, that <laughs> I, I'm at all like Kingston in every way, but in that sense, I would say yes. And when when I created the character, you you, you need a character who has some depth. And um, apart from his being a bot- retired botanist and a very articulate and erudite sort of educated man, um, well travelled, you know, I I also wanted him to uh, to get dig a little bit deeper and get into his personal you know, likes and dislikes and so on. And so I created Andrew to be the sort of, um, I, I guess in a way, you know, Sherlock Holmes had Dr. Watson, and it's always nice in a mm-hmm. in a story to have your main character have somebody to talk to and argue with and ask advice and not take that advice sort of thing. <laughs> but so... Uh, but Andrew um, is it, Andrew is really the uh, the gourmand or the gourmet because at the drop of a hat he wants, always wants to go out to the latest restaurant and try uh, whatever that food is and uh, he's yeah. quite a wine expert not, not running off to France and his <laughs> wine trips and so forth so, um, but I um, I have enough knowledge of wine to be dangerous I'll put it that way um, uh, so yeah, yes, there is a little bit of that reflected in the book. Yeah, but, uh, and and can, and can the books be read in any order? I know the Blue Rose was the first one, um, and the Alcatraz Rose is the last one. Um, so can they be read pretty much in any order at all? Yes, you uh, you could pick up any any of the books, and you would would have no trouble reading it as a as a freestanding book. Uh, the Blue Rose, the first book, does set the stage a little bit. Kingston because he is not in that book he is not the principal character believe it or not the principal characters in that book are the two young people that buy the old manor house and discover the rose the blue rose in the garden and Kingston is called in by them to appraise it and to find out or get his advice on what they should do with that and he is knowledgeable enough and astute enough to realize that not only is it very valuable, but they're also in what could be a kind of precarious situation because people are going to be, the press are going to be down there. If the news breaks out, the press are going to be down there climbing all over the garden, trying to get into the garden, trying to photograph it, and and that's Right. And, and I, yeah. And I, I know, obviously, um, the code breaking 
one I thought was fascinating. And obviously Bletchley Park, which I, I believe you refer to in that, that has been in the news lately. But you, you, you wrote about this several years ago. Um, so, I did. So, yeah, so, so were you aware of the office before the rest of us? I mean, people go, are go, going to their graves not talking about this. And up until the last few years, Bletchley Park was still a, a thing that nobody knew what the heck was going on there they just knew it was government that's um, right yeah so, yeah. so were, were you just ahead of the the curve on this one well a, a little bit but um what i did know was that my brother um uh, in who lived in britain um had done a lot of study about bletchley and he and i um the one thing that i do have in common with kingston is the london times um cryptic crossword puzzle because my brother and i used to do that every week uh, the saturday one is a large one and we would uh, do do the puzzle and then the following weekend we would compare notes and see if we finished <laughs> it and, and I, I, he he'd always had an interest in bletchley and was sending me a lot of uh, news clippings and information about bletchley and um, I, I was very fascinated with it. And um, in, the, in I think in the very first book, The Blue Rose, Bletchley came up because one of the uh, one of the men that had hybridized, they thought might have hybridized Blue Rose, had worked at Bletchley and was uh, knowledgeable with codes and so on and so forth. So that that did um, Bletchley came up in that story in a fairly big way, and. Um, but curiously enough, you know, there's a movie out right now called The Imitation Game, which is getting a huge praise. It's um, And it's all about Bletchley and Alan Turing, the man who was really, I, I suppose, directly responsible um, because of his work in in uh, shortening the war by two years by breaking the, the German U-boat codes. And oddly enough, um, I don't want the story to drag on too long, is that in uh, about a mile from where I live, uh, one of the ladies who worked at Bletchley during the war years, um, who is in her 90s now, I think, she is, I think she may be one of the last, uh, the last living people um, f- uh, that worked at Bletchley, just uh, as sharp as a whip, you know, she is... Uh, and she was a young uh, student fresh out of college, but she spoke German. Uh, she was Scottish, and she spoke German. And so one day she got a knock on the door, and um, I guess the, the college, had, the government had probably asked people, um, you know, who, who in your class does have a good knowledge of German? <laughs> and so she was, she was wrote in. Yeah, and and I know we've got at least two books on, on it. My husband, when he was over in uh, England last time, I think went round Bletchley Park. Um, yes. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's now it's now open. Um, and, and, that, and that's what's so fun, fun actually about your books because it's it's all based in England and, and romping around uh, London with the the little car going in in and out of London <laughs> because my husband's from London. I mean, I can just see the traffic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, so so anyway, um, all, all your books are on uh, Kindle, is that right? As well as um, hardcover. Yeah. Yes, they are. They are in um, paperback and Kindle. The paperback is. Fifteen ninety-five, and the Kindle I think is eight ninety-nine, and um, they're available on on Amazon, of course, and I, they are available through bookstores. But um, in most cases, you probably have to get the the bookstore to order it. But they can order it through their um, through their distributors, um, mm-hmm. who they 
normally purchase their books from. And, and do, do you do any book signings or anything um, across the co country where people can maybe get um, a signed copy of the book and chat to you about um, the books? I have done that. I've done quite a lot on a local level in Northern California, and um, I've spoken in uh, probably at least um, maybe a dozen or two dozen bookstores for book signing events and so on, but yeah uh, not not have it really result in in uh, direct sales i mean i I think a lot of the uh, people who do that are um, more they tend to be more non fiction writers and political people political writers um, anybody in politics that is going to attract a big crowd you know of two hundred people and they'll sell you know a, a, over a hundred books or more then it becomes, um, you know, much more viable because they get the press. The press comes out for it, too, so you get that mm -hmm. secondary publicity. But and nowadays, I, I think it's becoming a thing of the yeah. past. But, but you do have... For fiction writers. Yeah, but you do have social media, right? You, you're, you're on uh, yes. Facebook and things like that? Yes. Uh, you know, it's funny because I had always resisted it. Um, I tend to be a little bit sort of, I suppose, private as a lot of English people are <laughs> kind of a treat or whatever but but my daughter who is uh, she's a graphic designer and um, she's constantly saying well you should be on Facebook dad because you know more people would learn about your book so this year for the first time I I, I made my Facebook debut and the book is up there and I have quite a lot of friends and um, it's um, my only the only problem I have with it is really um, getting back on on it on a reasonably frequent basis to keep up with the letters and to <laughs> post new information and new stuff. So it's um, it's something that um, you have to keep up on. And if you're if you're a busy person like I am, usually because um, if I'm not writing, you know, the first thing I'm doing is I'm out in the garden. Um, right now starting to prune um it's difficult to uh, to find that extra time to do it but i'm 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 working i'm working through it pretty well so yeah and and so so if people wanted maybe to to contact you um and find out about your new books that are maybe coming out um they, they'd go through maybe the facebook page or do you have a, a web page or something yeah, like that i think yeah the, the best place the more comprehensive place would be to go to my website and the, the website is anthonyeglin.com, and that's the easiest uh, way to, because on there you will find, you'll find the new book, uh, you'll find a trailer on the new book, uh, which is kind of, it's a 40 second trailer, but it's, it's really quite good. And if you haven't seen it, Kate, you know, you might want to look at it. It's kind of, um. Oh, I, I will do. It's kind of nice. Yeah, it's quite nice. Uh, oh, great. And also, it's got, it shows all of the other books with a synopsis of each one of them. It's got, um. Yeah. And, and your, um, all, your author page on uh, Amazon also, I think, has all the, all the books on it too. It does. Correct. Yes. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. yeah. And then um, obviously there's a, there's a biography too, you know, yeah. which is yeah. very short. Yeah. And, um, but, but unfortunately that's about all, all we have time for, um, and Anthony. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been great chatting to you. I've wanted to do this for a long time. Um, well, well I, you know, I've had, a, I, I love doing this and I loved, uh, doing it today and it's been a lot of fun 
as oh, always. Thank you. Yes, and and when we come back, everyone, we're going to have Marty Wingate, who also is a garden fiction writer. Um, and so we come back, everyone, and we will be right back. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's FoodLink was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedstuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm to fork. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. You are back listening to the Master Gardener Hour. I am the host of the show, Kate Copsey, and this morning we are talking garden fiction here today. And we are now going to talk to Marty Wingate, the author of several regional garden books for the Northwest, as well as the Potting Shed series of Garden Mysteries. Good morning, Marty. Good morning, Kate. Yes, and as I mentioned, uh, your books include several regional garden books based on the experience of growing and living in Seattle. Um, so what made you want to, shall we say, switch gears to write a fiction novel that's based in England, which is about as far away from Seattle as you can get? <laughs> it, it is. In terms of miles, it certainly is far away. I, I envy people who can fly from New York in just five hours. It takes us nine. But on the other hand, our uh, gardening climate is quite similar. And so um, I lead garden tours, and they are often in England or Scotland or Ireland. And so I have fallen in love with the country. And I, I saw the chance, actually, at the nudging of a friend of mine who said, really, you should write a garden mystery. I saw the chance to combine um, several things I love, gardening, um, England, Scotland, or Ireland, depending on where the book is set, and uh, travel. So I'd say these mysteries are uh, mystery slash travelogue slash gardens. How's that? <laughs> Yes, and I guess um, last year you had, um, I think you had two potting shares shed mysteries and one large perennials for the pacific northwest and they all came out last year which means you were incredibly busy (laughs) Um, it it certainly looked like that of course you know how it is with books we do all the work the author does all the work and then we wait for them to come out um the um perennials for the pacific northwest from sasquatch books 
uh, is actually a new edition of an older book that I had written. So although I did um, do some work on it, updating things, I didn't have to write the whole thing from the beginning. So that worked out well. Um, and then my two, the first two potting shed mysteries, the garden plot and then the red book of Primrose House, um, I also had written a while back uh, before I got the contract from Random House for the books. So I sort of had those lined up. It was really nice. Although, on the other hand, and any author remembers this, you know, you write the book and off it goes into the wilderness of your editor and the copy editor, and then you get the copy edits back and you think, oh, that's right, this book, let me pay attention to this now. You kind of forget what has happened. <laughs> yes. So so is it um, maybe difficult sometimes to switch gears from, um, I guess, uh, sort of doing the, the, um, the mystery books versus factual writing? Uh, it is actually rather freeing. I, I love garden writing, how-to garden writing, and I've always written a lot about plants. I, I'm a real plant collector. But there's something about uh, not having to say how tall and how wide the tree grows. I don't have to say what kind of soil it goes in. I can just talk about how beautiful the tree is in the garden book. I, now, I will say, um, that being said, I am very picky about the garden information I put in the fiction um, because I've had so many gardeners say, well, I hope you get all that right. Well, you bet I'm going to get that part right. <laughs> I'm not going to say that, you know, camellias grow in in uh, uh, alkaline soil or, you know, you can put roadies anywhere. I, I, I want to make sure that um, I get that information correct so that the story doesn't catch anybody who knows better. Yes, and, and I guess some people would always pick up a little bit of some, something. But I know that um, along with writing, you lead gar- garden tours throughout Great Britain, um, sort of England, Scot- Scotland, Ireland, I'm not sure about Wales. Um, but did the inspiration for the Potting Shed series come maybe from one of those tours? Well, from all of those tours, I would say. I'm always getting great ideas when we are over there leading um garden tours. So uh, the, the garden plot takes place in London, and um, I, I, love the, I love those London gardens. I mean, it, it could just be some pots of pelargoniums in the window out front, or those narrow, deep gardens in the back of, of uh, terrace houses. I am fascinated with that, and I love the fact that um, almost anyone will put a pot of some flowers out somewhere. That's, you know, we, we need things growing around us. I love the squares in London, um, the private squares that I can't get into. <laughs> and I peek over the, the railings at and the, and the parks that I can walk through. So all of that, plus the, the public, the gardens that you can visit, um, uh, Wisley, the Royal Horticultural Society's garden nearest London, Wisley is fabulous. So I certainly get inspiration for um, the plants and how the plants make you feel in the city uh, from there. And in, then in the Red Book of Primrose House, uh, that takes place at a outside of London in um, a village. And so I have an expanse of what the main character, Prue Park, discovers is a historic garden that she needs to restore. Um, 
and so I get to draw in a bit of that too. So I I find inspiration everywhere. <laughs> And and you've certainly put her, I guess, into. Um, a, she, a, she's probably one of the few gardeners that are left, actually. In, in um, yes, yeah, you're right, Kate. I have read that, and it's interesting. You're right. Everyone wants to be a designer now instead. Yes. And um, so uh, when Prue, an American gardener, moving from Dallas, Texas, to London, she goes uh, hoping to find a head gardener's position. So. Yes, it's even worse than it used to be. So not only is she looking for a position where, you know, there there aren't many, um, she's a foreigner looking for a position where there aren't many. So uh, she's got many strikes against her. And so in the first book in the garden plot, that's part of the um, fun I had writing is uh, all the rejection letters she gets yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> from all the different places she applied for jobs. So she just keeps... Pecking away at it, though, hoping to find something. Yes, um, and and she certainly seems to do quite well at it. But um, the knowledge base for the series, apart from the the regional side, um, you deal with things like Roman mosaics and some of the legal issues as to who um, owns the relics, as well as uh, Prue's education in London. So, how much of that did you have to research from Seattle, and how much did you find out? I guess from your from your trips o- over there. Uh, oh, I love research, and I'm I I love drawing this um, historic thread. Even though the books are are present day, drawing this historic thread through them. So um, yes, in the first one in London, um, Roman ruins are involved, and I, I've always been fascinated that there are everywhere you turn in London, there will be a reference to the Romans. Um, I've spent time at the British Museum, of course, looking at the and the Museum of London as well is fabulous for showing what uh, Londinium uh, would look like, uh, what the Romans called it. And um, the fact that almost any construction site in London, they're always digging up something <laughs> Roman. And, and I, I mentioned in the book that uh, they found uh, the Emperor Hadrian's uh, head in the Thames, which they did. It was a bronze statue of Hadrian, and it's now in the British Museum. In the um, 19th century, they found it in the Thames. And even better, and you would think that I had planned this, but I had finished the garden plot long before this happened, uh, in 2013, so not quite two years ago, Bloomberg was building uh, new headquarters in the city of London. So, you know, just that mile square, the actual city of London. And they uncovered an acre or more of um, of Roman uh, civilization, including a channel for the Walbrook, one of the, you know, what they call the Lost Rivers of London, that they channeled through um, the dwellings. And uh, in the garden plot, there is one of, another one of those hidden rivers of London involved. And so I thought, look at this. I, I should use this as publicity. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So your, um, your, your chief sleuth is, is Prue, and she's an American. So just give us a little background about how she actually ended up in England trying to be a gardener over there. Right. Well, um, yes, she was born and grew up in Dallas and worked, uh, the uh, Prue Park worked at the Dallas Arboretum, where, and I have visited the Dallas Arboretum, so that's always fun to include things like that. But her mother was British, and her mother um, 
met her American father uh, at the end of World War II when her dad was stationed in England. And um, uh, these uh, come from, although, of course, you know, there are books out and there are movies out about these things. We, we have some uh, family friends who are British, and uh, the, um, I remember the stories that the woman would tell about being a girl at the end of the war and the American soldiers that were around. Oh, they always loved the American soldiers being around. And so I sort of drew on that. I thought, well, that would be an interesting take to have. Uh, although living in Texas, she sort of grew up in her mother's world because her mother was always telling her stories of England. And so her love for England was she felt like it was home, even though she'd never lived there. So after both of her parents are gone, and Prupark is a middle-aged gardener, she just turned 50, she thought, well, it was an abrupt change, but she thought she wanted to try it, and that's why she moved to England. So she felt like it was home, although she knew no one when she moved over there. She had no family, as far as she could tell, from her mother's side of the family. But it still, there was something in her that made her think this was home. Yeah, and and I guess against most um, mystery series, um, the characters kind of wander from one place to the next and deal with the local police force. But you ended up with a romance for Prue dur- during the end of the sto- story. So how did you feel that um, she needed to have a, a romance at, at that mature age? I mean, had she never... I think she'd had a boyfriend before, but why, why, why do we fi- find her in the middle of a romance as well? Yes. You know, it's very interesting when you start writing fiction. Sometimes your characters do things that you don't think they're going to do. <laughs> and, and you either have to decide, okay, I've got to scrap this from the beginning, or think, all right, let's go with this and see what happens. Um, I, I, it is, I, I believe it's a part of her establishing herself as, you know, as being English and living in the country and She's quite surprised, it's true, to um, suddenly uh, think that she might get involved with this um, uh, detective chief inspector from the Met. Uh, And she has never married before. She has had other relationships, one long term. And um, uh, it's fun in a series when you have the same character and the same uh, 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 relationships going on it's like in every book there's a story arc but over the whole series there's a broader arc of the character in her life so that certainly um progresses and and actually down the line in the third book which will be out later this year we get to meet that boyfriend oh good good wonderful yeah, so, um yeah so that'll be fun yeah, but anyway, we need to take our final commercial break here. Um, but come back, everyone, and listen to more about the Pot in Shed series with Marty Wingate. We'll be right back. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866 866- Two eight six six two zero zero. That's eight six six two eight six six two zero zero. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how three hundred million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. 
activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. you're enjoying the master gardener hour this morning we have been talking garden mysteries that you can curl up with in front of a winter fire particularly when one of those polar vortexes systems barrels across the country and plunges us into cold Um, and we're talking with marty wingate about her potting shed series and marty you've done two books so far and you've got the third one um in the in the the works um so i noticed that you bring in the need to find well, Prue's need to find more more relatives, and she she's obviously her mother came from England, and she's trying to track these down. This is not something you would normally find in a, a fiction book about gardening. So, how di- how did that um, come about that you wanted to introduce her to fi- find in other people? Right, I um, it started. It's it's true. I with my mysteries, I guess authors write what they want to read, and I love to read mysteries, but. The main thing I love about the mystery is the characters and their own stories. And so I do put a big emphasis on the characters and their own development and what happens with them, as well as solving the the murder mystery. Um, And so when, as Prue became more clear to me, uh, the more I wrote about her, the more I understood her, I could see as she had no uh, American family left, that and she had grown up with these stories of her mother that she um, would want to live in the place where she'd heard the stories about but perhaps she would also find she has this idea in her head well maybe there would be some distant cousin somewhere that she could run into and so she uses her mother's surname which is Park uh, that was not her dad's name but she thought that this kind of helped her establish herself in England. Who knows? She might run into another park. And so in the Red Book of Primrose House, she does think that um, the gardener of some friends that she has met might be distantly related. Um, and so that's part of the storyline in the Red Book of, the, of Primrose House, in addition to solving the murder of one of her crew at the garden. Yeah, and I, I guess um, the books are not available in, in hardcover, right? They're just That's on Kindles right. and Nooks and all those electronic bits, right? Exactly, yes. Uh, Random House has a new um, mystery digital-only imprint called Alibi, so that's where my books are published, and they are in absolutely any ebook format you could possibly imagine. And they're only two ninety nine, which makes it easy. It's a quick buy, uh, so people with iPads can download the Kindle app or the Kobo app if they want, or buy it on iBook. Um, and the nice thing about uh, Random House is that they have a new system where I can actually autograph ebooks. For nice. So if someone would like an autographed copy of the red, uh, the garden plot or the red book of Primrose House, um, the, 
they can send me an email and say, I would like one, I autograph it, then that person gets a notice in the email saying, you have an autographed copy waiting, do you want to buy it? So that's when they make the purchase. So anyone wants an autographed copy, just let me know. And so, and so when they download the book, they get a page that has got your autograph on it electronically. Is that right? It, exactly. And it, it fits right into the pages of the ebook just as it would in a print book. And I can personalize it. So, yep, no problem. So, so how do they go about getting that? Um, do they approach the, the, um, the publisher for that or can you do it yourself? Yes, they, they, they would email me, um, and my email address is marty, M-A-R-T-Y, at martywingett.com. So, um, and I'm, you can find me on Facebook and, and Twitter at Marty Wingett. So no problem there. So yeah, just let me know. Okay, so so you're on Facebook and thing, things as um, not the pot in shed or anything like that, <laughs> mistress. No, just my name. That's okay, right. <laughs> okay. And if they go to your website and look and catch up with you on Facebook and that, do they get to know when the next ones are coming out that way? Because you say you've got at least one in the in the works here. That's right. Well, actually. Um, Potting Shed number three and four are already written, and I'm about to start number five. Oh, wow. So, yes, um, so you can find out all that information on my website, and there's information about our upcoming tour in June, which is to the north of England. We're starting at Chatsworth in Derbyshire and then going up to York, Hadrian's Wall, down into the Lake District. So we have a great tour going this year. And and so where, where do they get um, details on the tours? Is that on your website as well? It is. Um, and there's uh, information about the tour, and uh, the day-to-day itinerary is on our travel agent's website, but I have a link to that, so it's all there. And if I recall, you're going to uh, the Beatrix Potter land, right? Yes, Hilltop. Oh, I love Hilltop. It's just fabulous. And we've stayed, uh, my husband and I have stayed in... Um, near Hawk's Head before, near Sorry, which is where um, Hilltop is. So it's a, oh, the Lake District is fabulous. Oh, it is. It's a, it's a beautiful area. We used to go to walks in Derbyshire all the time. Wonderful, wonderful place to, to walk. Um, and, and when you do these tours, um, are they kind of the typical, shall we say, um, one night, 14, 14 nights and 14 European capitals? <laughs> Oh dear, I would just, my head would spin if we did that. No, I, I like to feel like we're getting to know the country. So first of all, we take small groups. So, you know, you don't have 60 people trailing off a bus. How could you ever hear the head gardener talk if you were in such a big crowd? Um, we take small groups and we stay two or three nights in each place so that you can feel like if you want to unpack, you can go right ahead. We have time to head for the pub. In the evening, um, we have, when we have our garden stops, we have time to sit down with a cup of tea and chat with everyone. So it's, it's not the race around the country that some tours are. And is it something that non-gardeners would also enjoy, do you think? Well, I think so. We always have, um, we have a real mix of people that come on the tours. We have some couples, we have singles, we have friends traveling together, um, and we always include uh, things other than gardens. So uh, we're going on um, 
a steam train in in uh, North Yorkshire this time. We are visiting Hadrian's Wall, probably Vindolanda, and that that ties into the garden plot as well. Um, the Roman ruins there, and so we have a we have a nice mix of. Uh, we're going to Beamish, and I wonder if you've ever been there, Kate. It's an outdoor sort of a historic museum uh, of uh, Edwardian era that that I get rave reviews about when I ask people about it. So we're, we're visiting there. I don't think I have been there. It sounds wonderful, though. Um, and I guess um, all your books um, that, that you've got... Uh, I guess if people go on the tours, can they recall and they buy the book afterwards? Are they going to be able to say, I remember doing that? Ah, yes, <laughs> they will. <laughs> you can find places that I've mentioned specifically in the books, yeah. And I, I hope that I have painted the picture well enough in um, the mysteries so that you will you will feel like you have been there. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that, that would be a great, great reason to go on one of the, the tours. Um, and, but your, these are, your mysteries are just on the electronic format, but your, shall we say your regular garden books, um, the perennials, the designs and things like that, th- those are physical books, right? Yes, the gardening how-to books are certainly, uh, they're printed as paper and I believe they're e-books as well. So landscaping for privacy, um, you can pick up in any book store or order online and and th- those those are all av- available through amazons and all, all those as well as the local bookstore right they are indeed yes and if, if people wanted a, um, a signed copy of those they would have to go to you as well um, or do you do um, book signing somewhere or talks uh, where they can get signed copies I do a lot of talks in the Pacific Northwest, and I often uh, will do talks in other places too. But if someone from uh, somewhere else in the country would like a signed copy, they could they could buy a copy directly from me, and I would sign it and send it to them. So that's uh, just send me an email and let me know. Oh, well, that that that's great. You know how how people can manipulate all these different systems. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and 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 when you've got um, a list of talks, um, are they on the website too? Yes, I try. Yeah, how good am I at that? I try to keep my schedule up on on uh, uh, my website, but I also often will um, post something on Facebook about that. I'm quicker with Facebook than I am with my website. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> and and so so we've got two two more. They're going to come out this year. You say the two more potting sheds. Well, the the third one will come out later, uh, probably August or September, I think it's scheduled. And that, um, Pooh hops around the country a bit. The third book takes place in Edinburgh. Oh, very nice. Yeah, Cold. yeah. So, um, and then the, the, the fourth one will probably be um, the following spring. And and is she still going, going to have the same um, detective Christopher um, tagging along? Um, do they do they yes. do they proceed a little bit? Can, oh. That's right. Yeah, Christopher Pierce. He is he is still tagging along. He's a great support for her. Um, he he does he does worry a fair bit that she gets involved in these situations. But what can you do? <laughs> Oh, and what a wonderful companion for her. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, Well, I I guess we've got about a a minute left. Um, So how how would you, um, I mean, these are are fiction books, and and they're they're, they're wonderful characters. Um, And and in each each one of the the new ones, she's going to be having just one death, or or are we going, going to be increasing the number of deaths around? 
Uh, well, <laughs> you know, there are some, I, uh, I must say, on um, television, Midsummer Murders is one of my favorite British detective shows. <laughs> and the, the body count on Midsummer Murders is just amazing, if anyone has ever seen those. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, in, in my cozy mysteries, I will say that we, we kind of limit it. Who knows? I, I may get to more than one body one of these days. <laughs> but at the moment, Prue has enough to, to handle with just one death. Oh, yes. I, th- I think one, one death, a garden, and a boyfriend is, is more than any <laughs> gal can deal with. That's right, yes. yes. Okay. Well, we're, we're right at the end of the show now. But thank you, everyone, for listening to the Master Gardener Hour this morning. Thank you, Marty. Um, I loved the se- series. It, it's a, a great introduction to, to gardening and England and just a, a delightful light um, curl up in front of the fire book (laughs) thanks Kate thanks so much for having me on today oh you're more than welcome Um, and we'll be back everyone next week with shows all about gardening and gardens so have a good gardening week everyone and come back and join me next Saturday this is America's webradio.com the best in chat radio designed just for you